Hello and welcome to the Bridge Community Church Listen Again podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Our prayer is that what you are about to hear encourages you and builds your faith. Need in your life to feel more content. What would you be looking for in your life to feel content? Maybe you're looking for that retirement day, that early retirement. Maybe it's that new course. Yeah, a number of people are nodding there. That's right. Or a new course or a new relationship, a new opportunity, a new situation. Or perhaps you just want to get back to things the way they were. There's multiple things that can come in to give us what we perceive to be a new level of contentment. And yet, if you're anything like me, humanity, human beings seem to, when they get one thing, what do we do? We want more. We want more. We want more. We just think, yeah, we're there. But actually, when we're there, we want more, don't we? There's just something within us that we just struggle for this thing called contentment. And so I really want to encourage us to live a life of contentment if we can. And hopefully, we can be inspired by what we see today from the Word of God. Three reasons why I believe we should try and live a life of contentment. First of all, you will shine. You will stand out if you have a contented life. Because in this world of ours, there's so many people struggling to find contentment. Secondly, you'll have that experience of satisfaction. That sense of, ah, it's all good. And thirdly, it'll give you an excuse to celebrate. Three great reasons, I believe, why contentment is a good thing to have in our lives. And of course, it's good to have within our communities, within our gatherings, within our church, because contented people are often bring that sense of feeling like home. Discontented people cause struggles and difficulties. And so to unpack this a little bit further today, if you have got your Bibles, do turn to Philippines chapter 2 as we finish off this section, as we look at this theme of feeling like home. And the weird thing is, we've got a guy here writing about contentment, and guess where he is? He's in prison. He's in jail. He's been imprisoned for his faith, and yet he is writing about this idea of contentment. I can't think of anything less, give me less cause to be content than being trapped in a prison cell. And yet the Apostle Paul, that early church leader, that missionary, that guy who worked as a businessman to serve the purposes of God, he is writing about this idea of contentment. And he's writing to this church in Greece, in Philippi, and he's encouraging them because Paul felt content when he was with that church. He felt at home when he visited and hung out with them. And we've been looking over the last four weeks in particular at some of the qualities there to help us feel like home. First of all, we consider the sense of connection. As we connect closer to God, then we connect closer with each other. Secondly, this idea of being a follower of Jesus, copying Jesus, living for Jesus. Thirdly, last week, we looked at this idea of continuity, continuity, I can't even say it, continuing, that'll be the way to say it, and this cooperation with the Holy Spirit as we continue with the things of Jesus under the cooperation and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can get this sense of feeling at home. So, I've been talking about contentment, but what is contentment? The Apostle Paul gives us an indication of what it is not. 
Sometimes it's helpful to look at something for what it's not rather than what it is. And Paul in Philippines 2, as we can read here, says, Do everything, please note not some things there, do everything without what? Grumbling or arguing. To me, this is the absolute opposite of contentment. If you're somebody who's grumbling, somebody who's moaning, somebody who's whinging, somebody who's arguing, somebody who's complaining, someone who's causing trouble, that is the absolute opposite of a contented life. So in a way, we want to get as far away from that as possible. And that's why Paul says here, do everything without that sense of moaning, whinges, grumbling, and arguing. If you're somebody who's read your Bible a little bit, as you go back to the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, it seems to be a regular theme right throughout the Old Testament that the people of God love to whinge and moan and groan and complain. But it was always very much God-directed. Here in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, Paul's talking about more complaining one to another. So the New Testament Christians seem quite happy with God, but they love to whinge and moan and cause trouble amongst each other. And this is what Paul is pushing back on. And of course, as you read this, you think, wow, this doesn't come naturally, does it? This stuff is difficult. Like, it's dead clear. We don't have to have some theological major PhD discussion on this. We all know what grumbling is, and we all know what arguing is. The issue is not understanding. The issue is the application of it. The issue is it coming out. Because everything within us struggles with this, because so often we prefer self. We prefer our agenda. Got to be honest, I struggle with this stuff. One of my favorite programs, probably going back about 10, 15 years ago, used to be called Grumpy Old Men. I don't know if you ever watched that, but even back then, I wasn't even in my 50s, but I could identify with them men who were moaning and complaining about everything that was going on in this world. I'm like, yeah, preach your brother, you're dead right. I love a grumpy old man. It's great because that's, guess what, who I am probably. And I've shared once or twice before, I remember a football match I was playing back in my 20s. And it was over at Hemel Hempstead. And after about 60 or 70 minutes, the referee just pulled me over. And he just said, hey, son, you must be from Liverpool. And I was like, what? And he goes, for 60, 70 minutes, you have not stopped whinging and moaning and complaining about every decision I've made during this game. I said, you're right, ref, and that's the first decision you've got right today. <laughs> Needless to say, there was a card produced from his pocket, but there we go, you know. It's just something within us, isn't it? We're just wired to moan and whinge and be dissatisfied with stuff. The problem is, as we whinge and moan at each other, we're actually whinging and moaning at God. That's a bit sad in view of everything he's done for us. Everything he's done for us. So yeah, this idea of finding the absolute opposite of this, grasping that contentment, is going to be huge for us to feel at home, to have a life that shines, that's satisfying, and something to celebrate. Okay, let's think first of all then about this life of contentment that shines. Question for you, who shines in your life? Who shines in your life? Who, when they walk through the door, they just brighten up? your day. They brighten up the room. There's something about them 
where you just think, wow, I'm so glad they've come into the room where I am right now. It might be your spouse. It might be a grandchild. Little kids are great at this, aren't they? They come in the room and brighten the place up. Or it might be a boss at work or something. No, no bosses at work. Sorry. Nice try. But, you know, some people just have this ability. They walk into a room and they brighten it up. There's something about them that just brings that light and that radiance. And, of course, this is what church should be about. As we gather, there should be a light, a brightness, because this is what reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2 of Philippians, it says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped, crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So the Apostle Paul here is saying, give people a glimpse of God. When you moan, when you whinge, when you argue, you are not giving people a glimpse of God. It's as we have this contentedness, as we have this satisfaction, as we live, as Paul says here, a blameless, pure children of God. This idea of blamelessness is the idea of being without accusation, not giving people evidence to say, hey, you're a bit of a hypocrite. You keep talking about being a follower of Jesus, but your behavior, the things you say, seems to counteract it. This idea of being pure children of God, representing the family of God well, having that stamp of God upon your life, being in the spitting image of your Father in heaven is this picture here, representing God well. And again, if there's grumbling and moaning and arguing, it doesn't represent God at all well. And actually, Paul is saying, be the opposite of this. So much in our world which is fallen, it's damaged, it's broken, it's dark, somehow we need to shine a light in that atmosphere. Somehow we need to change the environments in which we live because of the brokenness and the damage and the darkness that is in our world. And Paul gives this picture of shining stars. Actually, the Greek word that's used there could be any light-bearing vessel. But obviously, within the context of talking about the sky, in particular, we think of the stars. Have you ever been out on a super dark night, cloudless night, and you just see those stars, don't you? What a picture of what we should be. All of us in different places, different locations, but wherever we are, just that brightness shining in the school, in the workplace, in our community, in our family, on holiday, in our hobbies, whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, just putting the light on and changing the atmosphere. This is what a contented light does. It's completely countercultural. This grab, 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 get, get, get culture. And you're actually saying, no, I'm a person of enough. God has given me enough. I have everything I need in Jesus. And I'm going to be that bright, shining star. Again, difficult. I heard a great story from a grandparent, uh, a former church of mine. And... Uh, their granddaughter had an amazing school report. And as they did the parent-teacher thing, they chatted with the teachers and they said, oh, this girl's so lovely, she's great, she's fantastic. And they were really bigging this little girl up. And the grandparents and the parent came home and just shook their heads in disbelief. They got hold of this little girl and said, 
How come your school report is so brilliant when at home you're an absolute nightmare? At home you're causing trouble, at home you're full of difficulties and problems and you do this and you don't do what you're told at school, you're perfect. And this little girl very quickly said to her, do you know what? I use up all my goodness at school. There is nothing left for when I come home. And that's the way we can be, isn't it? We say, yeah, I've used up all my goodness, being that bright shining star in the workplace. When I get to church, I can let rip. When I get to church, I can tell everybody what I think of them. When I get home, I can let rip there as well. Come on, got to be better than that, brothers and sisters. The shining brightness. You have that continual Holy Spirit energy source of the goodness, the shining can continue. Doesn't matter what location, what environment. Let's be those bright, shining stars. Let's move on. Let's think about satisfaction. Okay, question again. What brings you satisfaction? What at the end of the day, where you look back, you just think, ah, that was a good day. Maybe a good day at work. Maybe good relationally. Maybe good because you just enjoyed a particular celebration or something. Paul is talking in this context about an end of life satisfaction. Listen to these words in verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So what Paul is doing here is asking the Philippine church for a favor. He's close to them. He's good friends with them. They love him. He loves them. And he's saying, if I've got any part in your heart, can you do me a favor? What is that favor? It is hold firmly unto the word of life. It's this picture Paul's saying, this gospel, this good news of Jesus, this is what turns your life around. This is the light for the dark world. There is no other solution for our world. It's the light of Jesus is the only solution. So hang on to that. Hold on to it. Base your lives onto that. Do that for the rest of your life. And you know what? When I stand before Jesus at the end of my life, I will present you like a proud parent pushing their child forward and said, look, all that work, all that effort, all that sacrifice was worth it. Look at that Philippine church. Look at the lights that's shining. Look at them holding on to Jesus despite problems and persecution. Because this is the picture Paul's presenting here. He wants to boast about this church at the end of his life. We all have to stand before King Jesus at some point. And this isn't a heaven and hell decision. This is an accountability decision. This is a, if you like, a stewardship decision. You've got Jesus in your life. What did you do with that? How did you behave? Grumbling, arguing, causing trouble, or being a shining light? And Paul says, I want to be that shining light. I want to join this church. I want to invest in this church so they can be a shining light in their town and their city. And in a way, he's saying, Jesus, don't look at me. Look at what a difference these people made as a result of my investment. And Paul gives two illustrations there at the end. He doesn't want to run in vain, and he doesn't want to labor in vain. The running in vain would be very familiar to the Philippine church. They're a Greek church. They'd be used to major sporting events 
We know one of them today called the Olympic Games. Just celebrated that recently, didn't we? In August, this would have taken place, but there were other games like the Isthmian Games. There was about four major games in the first century. So they were familiar with these ideas of athletes in training for 10 months before the big event. And Paul said, I don't just want to put up with the hard work of training without enjoying the run of the event, the prize, if you like. And secondly, this idea of laboring in vain. Remember, Paul isn't just a church leader. He was a businessman. He made tents. He weaved tents. And so there's this picture here of him weaving a tent, making a tent that would work in the Middle East. And it was just saying, as he presents this tent to a potential customer, the customer saying, no, sorry, Paul, that's rubbish. I'm not taking it. Paul did not want that to happen in his life as a businessman or as an athlete or as a follower of Jesus. He didn't want to turn up and Jesus said, sorry, Paul, you missed it. Sorry, Paul, your churches didn't live up to what the expectation was. So Paul's just super excited about the potential of these Philippines. He's like, no matter what I'm suffering in jail, no matter what the future, I don't care because you guys are shining brightly. The pain is worth it because I'll be able to stand before Jesus and have this sense of satisfaction that the investment was worth it. And I hope and pray that's going to be true of our church. So many of you have invested so much in this church. Some of you have poured in decades and I've only been here four years. I'm just a baby here, but so many of you have poured your lives into this church. Let's honour these people by stopping the complaining, stopping the arguing, stopping the moaning, and let's be those bright shining lights so those people who have poured their lives into you can sit back and say, wow, it was worth it. They're smelling and reeking of Jesus. There's a satisfaction about a job well done. Let's finish off then by thinking about this idea of rejoicing and celebration. What causes you to rejoice? Of course, last Sunday we had this big celebration. I'm not sure if you can see the cake here. I'm not sure I've physically got the effort to lift it up. Here we go. Our bridge community. What a great cake. And we will continue the celebration this morning. Why? There's still a ton of cake left, so you can have that with your coffee. So do join us at the end for tea, cake, and the coffee. It's all there. It's brilliant. But what a party atmosphere. Of course, it was double-fold for me. I had the privilege of baptizing my son Ryan as well, but it was just a brilliant atmosphere, brilliant celebration. We have these things in our life that just lift our hearts, doesn't it? Celebrating is an important part of the Christian life. So you look again at the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, there just seems to be party after party after party, festival upon festival upon festival, where God says to the people, come on, let's gather, let's celebrate. And sometimes we can be a bit miserable and a bit dour, can't we? We should be people who celebrate and rejoice. Listen to what Paul says. Again, remember the context. He's in jail facing a death sentence. He says this, Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul talking about his life, even though he's in jail, even though he's faith in a death sentence, he says, I don't care. I'm rejoicing and celebrating at the outcome of what you guys are living at there in Philippi. 
please know, Paul, a businessman, he's not celebrating how much money he made. He's celebrating the impact he had in other people's lives. He's not celebrating his profit margin as a tent maker. He's celebrating the transformation of the people he invested in. That is what really counts. That is what we can really celebrate. Profit will come and go, but a transformed life could be forever. No pity party here. Paul's not saying, oh, I'm suffering and struggling, you Philippine Christians, help. He's none of that. He's saying, no, come and party with me because God is doing great things in and through you and I'm happy and I want to see that change. So yeah, what an encouragement. Let's just quickly look at those phrases he used because they're not familiar phrases. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. This would be very familiar language in the first century, whether you're a pagan or whether you're a Jew, because a lot of animal sacrifices back then would be this picture of an animal being killed and sacrificed on an altar, often with a sense of fire and burning, and then this picture of a pouring out of wine being poured out upon the sacrifice, like a libation, like a if I'm going to be all northern, a type of gravy, if you like, you know, adds to the smell. Adds to the smell and just so it'll be an acceptable sacrifice for the God that was believed in. So this is the picture. There is a dead animal sacrifice, then on top of it, this pouring out. And Paul describes this combination. He said, you Philippines, you're sacrificing your lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. He says, me, I'm pouring myself out into you. So it is a complete sacrifice. I'm pouring my life out, investing in you so you can live that godly life. And Paul thinks it's brilliant and he celebrates and rejoices in it. He says, so what? I'm in jail. So what? I'm facing the death penalty. I look at you and I'm so excited about the transformation and what Jesus is doing in your life. I am so happy I've poured my life into you. What a great challenge. The problem is, in our culture, when we think about this pouring out stuff, we can start to think, oh, David's asking me to be more busy. Please remove that thought from your head. If anything, I'm asking for the absolute opposite here. I'm asking to have a look at your calendars, have a look at your diaries, and can you become less busy? Can you make some decisions to reduce your workload? Why? So you can pour your life into other people. So you can have this kind of joy and sense of celebration and contentment with Paul, a superstar businessman, a superstar church leader, but stuck in jail, yet he's content. Why? Because he's poured his life into a program. No. He's poured his life into making church work. No. He has poured his life into people. And that's where the transformation takes place. Is there any way... You can create some space in your life to start to give yourself to pour into people, serving in your gifting, not asking you to do something you're rubbish at. Do stuff which you're good at. Do stuff which you enjoy. Do stuff which comes with a sense of God anointing. And just be good and kind and lovely and loving to people. That's the other picture here, isn't it? Somehow, we've got to break this culture of frenetic activity church, I think, should actually be a place that feels like a therapeutic break from the world. And yet sometimes we can be pulling our hair out about church life. 
So I've reflected on that this week. I thought, for four years have I spent most of my time managing and running church rather than really investing and pouring my life into people. Somehow we've got to make church lighter, easier. We've got to create some space so we can pour our lives into others. The posh word is discipleship. This was what Jesus did. Jesus poured his life into a few so they could go and change the world. Can we do that, brothers and sisters? Can we create that space to get that sense of satisfaction? Okay, call to action then. I'm not sure what God's saying to you today. What is God speaking to you about? I've just highlighted three things. They may be three things you might need to work on, the three things I need to work on. That's why I've put them there. First of all, addressing any grumbling and arguing and moaning and whinging. Yeah, that cut to me. Grumpy old man syndrome. Gotta go. Gotta go. Is there any pause, any sense in which we've got to confess that and get that sorted out? Secondly, perhaps we can recommit to serving and pouring ourselves out. It's been difficult during COVID. We've all been trapped in our houses. Is there any way we can now get back, get moving, get connecting again and start pouring our lives into others? Can we look to support our senior people more and more? Can we look to invest in someone to help them with their family life? Can we help with the kids or the youth? Can we just be smiley faces on the door and welcome people and give that sense of connection? Can we invite people into our houses and just say, come and have a bit of dinner? I don't know, what is it for you? What is it for me? I know somehow I've got to be less busy and running church and create that space to invest in a few more people. Maybe that's a decision for you as well. And thirdly, can we celebrate God's work in people's lives? It was great last week, that sense of celebration. Let's be people who rejoice at the work of God in our lives. I'm thrilled today after we sing and worship again. We're going to have Mac and Marie sharing a little bit about good news for everyone. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Fisherman's Mission, two of our mission partners. They're doing great work. We should celebrate. We should rejoice with our mission partners. We might not be doing it here, but there are people we are connected to and in partnership with and say, come on, keep going. Have that sense of joining together like Paul did with our Philippian church. Is there somebody... Is there something going on where you can just pause and say, God, I thank you for what you're doing. So yes, brothers and sisters, let's get a life of contentment so we can help this place to feel like home. In a few moments, we're going to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, that outpouring of his life. But Kate's going to lead us again in a bit of worship. If you enjoyed today's podcast, check us out on social media at BridgeCC UK. Thanks for listening and have a great day.